You're listening to a reading of the book Disrupting Mercy by Matthew C. Clarke and Annabella Rossini Clarke. The book was published in 2022 and this reading is being distributed as a series of podcasts narrated by the author Matthew Clarke. Footnotes and bracketed references to verses in the Bible have mostly been omitted to make the reading flow more conversational. I assume if you want to study the fine details, you'll read either the printed or the e-book versions, which are available from many online booksellers, including Amazon. Biblical quotes are nearly all taken from the New Revised Standard Version. Chapter 1. Upper Tree with Zacchaeus. An initial thought to ponder. Please open a web browser and search for images of mercy, kindness, compassion or forgiveness. Pick two or three that resonate with you. Include one that is not from your usual way of thinking. Perhaps an image from a religious tradition other than your own. An image from Japanese anime or from a computer game. Bookmark or print those chosen images and keep coming back to them as you read this book. How do those images of mercy make you feel? From his vantage point in a sycamore tree, Zacchaeus hoped to see Jesus without drawing attention to himself. The encounter with Jesus did not turn out as Zacchaeus expected, but provides us with a perfect example of mercy. The incident exemplifies a way of thinking about mercy as a proactive blessing with the power to transform the recipient's life rather than simply a reactive deliverance from suffering or guilt. It may seem a simple story. It's one we often present neatly to children. But I'd like to explore this encounter a bit further to uncover its richness. As you will see, most of the themes of this book find their roots under this sycamore tree. The interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus appears in Luke's account of the life of Jesus as part of an extended discussion on the nature of salvation. The theme picks up momentum when a certain ruler approaches Jesus and asks, quote, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? End of quote. After some banter about what it even means to be good, Jesus disappoints the man by saying it's almost impossible for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. Today, the word kingdom carries a negative connotation of patriarchy and feudal domination, but those are not the images intended by Jesus. If the word is too tarnished for you, I suggest replacing it with the more modern term society. People who watched this interchange were surprised enough to ask, well, who then can be saved? Luke weaves an answer to this question by narrating three consecutive interactions between Jesus and his close disciples an unnamed blind man, and then Zacchaeus. In these encounters, we find out not only who can be saved and the varied forms that salvation can take, but also about the close relationship between salvation, eternal life, and participation in the kingdom of God. Quote, Then Peter said, Look, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and who will be mocked and insulted and spat upon, 
After they have flogged him, they'll kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But they understood nothing about all of these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Luke chapter 18, verse 28 to 34. To the people already committed to following him, Jesus acknowledges that they have already given up what the rich man was unwilling to relinquish. They have left everything, including homes and family, for the sake of the kingdom of God, and are already on the path to inheriting the eternal life that the rich ruler may never find. But then Jesus confuses them by noting that the path they will travel together also leads to being mocked, insulted, spat on, flogged and killed. Not the kind of salvation they expected. Who can be saved, if not the rich and the powerful? Those who give up all and suffer along with Jesus. For them, salvation means being blessed within their lifetime with more than they have ever given up, and the future blessing of eternal life. Jesus and his disciples then continue their walk towards Jerusalem via Jericho. Quote, As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him, and when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, praised God. Luke 18, 35-43 On the outskirts of Jericho, they are accosted by a blind beggar who calls out repeatedly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's told to shut up by the crowd, but Jesus responds to his marginalization by asking, what do you want me to do for you? In asking this question, Jesus acknowledges the man's request for mercy and pauses to listen and to understand what mercy meant to such a person. The blind beggar confirms what we expected. He wants to see. In response, Jesus says to him, Receive your sight, your faith has saved you, and immediately the man can see. The Greek word sesokon is often translated as healed in this verse, but its root, soso, has the primary meaning of saved, and it's the same word as used in the crowd's earlier question, then who can be saved? The word is applied later to Zacchaeus, although the nature of his salvation is very different from the physical healing of the blind man. Who can be saved, if not the rich and powerful? Those who are physically broken and socially outcast. For them, salvation may mean, first and foremost, physical healing. Having received the mercy he asked for, the man follows Jesus, praising God. Nothing in Luke's account implies that mercy was shown because the man deserved it, or did not deserve it, nor because of any prior repentance or future debt. Jesus' own explanation is that the man's faith saved him, a faith demonstrated by calling out to Jesus in the belief that Jesus could and would show mercy. From the outskirts of Jericho, Jesus and his followers, including the once blind man, now move through the city, where they meet another man in need of mercy. Quote, He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He's gone to be the guest of the one who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Luke 19, 1-10 Zacchaeus has a different social standing from the rich ruler who started this whole conversation about salvation. In Matthew's account, the rich ruler is referred to as a young man and is probably a naive youth with inherited money from a well-respected family. On the other hand, Zacchaeus has probably been shunned by the Jewish townsfolk because, as a tax collector, he is a collaborator with the occupying Roman forces. He is a man of considerable power, not just a tax collector, but the local chief tax collector probably the head of a tax-collecting company who won a contract to collect taxes on behalf of the Romans, with wealth that came from exploiting his fellow Jews. Zacchaeus is a short man, looked down upon both literally and figuratively. He wields a lot of power and is consequently disliked, despised and feared. Though privileged and wealthy, Zacchaeus lives just as much on the edge of the crowd as did the blind beggar. Zacchaeus too is broken, and in need of salvation. Although curious, he does not have the faith to call out for mercy. Nevertheless, Jesus sees him, deeply sees him, sees beyond the wealth and beyond the status of social pariah. In a display of proactive mercy, Jesus calls out above the babble of the crowd and invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. It's a simple request, but one that reverberates through the hearts of both the crowd and Zacchaeus. The crowd is aghast, cannot make any sense of this travelling preacher sullying himself by contact with a known sinner. This tax collector, they are sure, does not deserve any favours. Furthermore, in the normal practice of Middle Eastern culture, the community would have selected the most suitable host to honour a visitor, but Jesus has chosen to avoid that hospitality and instead insulted them by preferring the hospitality of their oppressor. Where previously they were hostile towards Zacchaeus, now they're angry with Jesus. Such is often the effect of mercy on jealous observers. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, is transformed. The details of what caused that transformation are not related by Luke. Perhaps Jesus and Zacchaeus held a longer conversation that evinced the change. But the brevity of Luke's account suggests that the core reason was simply Jesus' act of inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house, This unexpected act highlights several important aspects of mercy. It went against the social current. It was dignifying. It was a gift. It upended the idea of debt. First, Jesus' compassion for Zacchaeus motivated him to reject the dismissive attitude of the crowd towards Zacchaeus. According to Kenneth E. Bailey, the text and the legal restrictions on the placement of large trees imply that Jesus had passed through Jericho at this point and was on his way out of town towards Jerusalem. Earlier on, Luke said that Jesus was just passing through Jericho, but having seen Zacchaeus, he changes his mind about continuing to Jerusalem. 
despite his own plans, and despite, or perhaps because of, the antagonism of the townsfolk to Zacchaeus, Jesus repeats his habit of embracing the outsider. Second, Zacchaeus would have seen the reaction of the crowd. Like them, he would have noted the violation of hospitality customs and recognised that the invitation to eat with him was a slight against the honour of the community. He would understand that Jesus was risking ritual uncleanness by entering the house of a sinner the day before Passover. He heard the crowd muttering against Jesus, but whereas the crowd was affronted by Jesus, Zacchaeus was, quote, happy to welcome him, end quote. Zacchaeus immediately understood that Jesus' simple act affirmed his dignity and value. Jesus' acceptance of Zacchaeus denied his status as an outcast and acknowledged him as a son of Abraham, meaning in this context that he too was a member of the Jewish community. We should not deduce that Jesus invested him with some new value, but rather that he recognised and affirmed the value Zacchaeus already had, even if that value had been forgotten. The true Zacchaeus had indeed been lost and needed to be saved, but all along he remained a beloved child made in the image of God. Zacchaeus was not the only person on the margins who Jesus treated that way. Jesus dealt the same way with the woman at the well, the thief on the cross, the woman who wiped his feet with her hair, people with leprosy, people supposedly possessed by demons, and countless others. Showing mercy in this way was clearly his normal practice. Third, this tendency or natural posture of Jesus was not the result of anything Zacchaeus deserved or did not deserve, nor was it conditional on any prior repentance or subsequent response from Zacchaeus. It was a free gift. Fourth, Jesus showed mercy to Zacchaeus in a very strange way, by putting himself in debt to Zacchaeus. On the surface, he did not give Zacchaeus anything, but instead asked Zacchaeus to give him something. He invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, where he presumably ate a meal, and perhaps even slept overnight. In the normal course of social interaction, this would mean he now owed Zacchaeus something. The fact that he took the same approach with the woman at the well, whom he asked for a drink of water, suggests that this is a deliberate strategy. I'll say more about this in a later section on mercy as a gift. In this context, the process of asking for help contributed to Jesus' affirmation of Zacchaeus by declaring him worthy of being a host. Jesus denied the judgment of the crowd that Zacchaeus was a taker and gave him an opportunity to prove them wrong. Jesus placed himself in a position of need and asked Zacchaeus to serve him, saying, in effect, I don't care that others spurn you. I would be honoured to walk by your side and be a guest at your table. The effect of this act of mercy was a radical shift in thinking for Zacchaeus that led to a radical shift in his financial and relational intentions. He spontaneously decided to give half of what he owed to the poor and to repay fourfold anyone he has cheated. This response was in no way required by Jesus. The reparations were not a condition of Jesus' mercy, but a result of it. Luke does not spell out the thought process that led to this radical change, but I imagine Zacchaeus' self-talk going something like this. Jesus risked his own reputation for me, for me, whose own reputation is a crock of camel dung. Why have I been so proud of making myself rich, proud of how everyone fears me? What have I become? They all hate me, and they're right. I've got more money than I know what to do with, but I'm worthless. An outcast, like that blind beggar I walk past every day. 
Blind no more, it seems. I wonder what happened to him. Where was I? Oh, yeah, outcast, ashamed of myself. But Jesus doesn't see me that way. He's not blind to what I do, but seems to think I'm worth spending time with. I wish I was. Maybe I am. But if I want to lead a household worthy of giving hospitality to someone like Jesus, I'll have to be a better me than I've been. Maybe that needs to start with being more generous. Now, whether or not this imagined reflection is accurate, there was a change at the root of Zacchaeus' identity. Jesus' mercy sparked a re-evaluation by Zacchaeus that resulted in true repentance. Not a heavy sense of moral guilt or even remorse, but a change of mind accompanied by a change of behaviour. He started to think of himself differently, and as a result, realised that he had to act differently. Such a transformation deserves the label salvation. Jesus comments, Today salvation has come to this house. Today Jesus has come to this house. Today mercy has come to this house. Today the real Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham who had been lost, has returned to this house. Jesus has been asked, in effect, who can be saved if not the rich and the powerful? He assures his disciples, who have already given up their past lives to follow him, that they will receive more than they have given up, and they already share a place in the kingdom of God. He responds to a blind beggar's cry for mercy with healing. Jesus responds to Zacchaeus in an act of mercy that transforms his whole outlook. Salvation looks different to each person as God's mercy is applied to their specific needs. Who can be saved? Those who follow Jesus, the oppressed and the oppressor, and, despite the difficulty of pushing a camel through a needle's eye, even the rich, for what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. The salvation of the blind beggar and Zacchaeus highlights the centrality of mercy in Jesus' strategy. He came to seek and save what was lost through such acts of proactive, non-transactional mercy. The story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus is one of many that show the transformative potential of mercy. Mercy is not simply letting someone off the hook so that they get away with their failings. It is a generous gift that can lead to a radical reorientation in the life of the recipient. If we were to live mercifully, it would also require a radical reorientation of our attitudes as givers. Subheading. Something to consider. What experiences of mercy has this chapter brought to mind? Occasions when you have received, witnessed, or shown mercy? This chapter of Disrupting Mercy has been narrated by Matthew C. Clarke. Other chapters are also available from the usual podcast distributors. You can also find them along with more details about the authors at turningteardropsintojoy.com. If you'd like to join a discussion about the book and share your own experiences of mercy, search for the Disrupting Mercy group on Facebook.